Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Going Dutch podcast, a look at the wonderful world of German football this week, brought to you by someone who is still in a food coma because of a very large cookie. So obviously last week I mentioned it was Going Deutsch's 50th episode and I'd mentioned this to my family as well and to mark the occasion they surprised me with this very nice like party cookie that you can get from one of the big UK supermarkets and it was designed to look like a football and it had the number 50 all over it was very nice and yeah very filling though I didn't eat the whole thing I'm not I'm not that fat, but I, I did eat a lot, and you know, it was it was fantastic. I still feel like I'm, I'm very full as a as a result of that. But yeah, obviously, fifty episodes to go until the next giant party cookie. I guess so I can have one for a hundred. I think it'd be I think it wouldn't be right to have one for seventy five because you know it's not enough of a landmark occasion for a massive cookie. Maybe we can get like a cupcake with seventy five on it, but not not an entire party cookie. But yeah, it, it was very nice. I look forward to getting the next one at episode one hundred. Anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. It was an up and down week in the football world. I think it's safe to say there were a few really good matches, and obviously. Whilst we've been trying to enjoy the football, we've also had the continuing story of Rubiales and the RFEF and his forced kiss on Jenny Amoso. And as I record this, it's just been announced that Rubiales' mother is going on a hunger strike because she can't stand the fact that her son has been rightfully called out for his despicable behaviour. So, you know, that's another fun thing to add to the to the pile of misery that we've been going through and we are forever asking UEFA to suspend them and it's it's just awful. Stop the ride I want to get off. This is a story that has just gone all over the place. It, it has been a ride, but it has been a very, very awful ride and I just wish for it to be over Obviously, with regards to that story, it's a big shame that it's overshadowed Spain's World Cup win. It's also a shame, obviously, that justice hasn't been served. And that's that's the biggest travesty in this. Not that it overshadows football, but it has also overshadowed a really good weekend of Spanish football as well. And it's worth bringing that up, if only because I've spent most of this morning in a sort of state of I don't want to call it a middle-aged crisis because I'm only 24 but sort of that that thing where you know you see a player have a really good game and you realize just how younger he is than you and I think anyone who watches the league and knows who I'm referring to already but Lamine Yamal was playing for Barcelona in their really exciting 4-3 win over Villarreal. And he was one of the best players in the game. Lamine Yamal was born on the 13th of July 2007. Oh, good God. That's, that's terrifying. I was already in primary school in... 2007 my favorite football video game was nearing the end of its life FIFA 07 and for more of a sense of how long ago his birth was it was seven months after the release of Windows Vista it was six months after the release of Tumblr it was 16 days after Gordon Brown 
became the Prime Minister of the UK and 14 days after the release of the first iPhone. He's younger than the iPhone for crying out loud. I mean, this is it's so depressing for somebody who is realising that they're getting older and older. Just, it's so sad. Did I spend too long researching things that happened before he was born? Yeah, have I spent too much of this introduction talking about Lamine Yamal, considering that this is a German football podcast? Absolutely. But, you know, for me, it's notable and a bit depressing. Let's let's go into the Bundesliga, though, before I make myself any, any sadder. This was a mixed week of Bundesliga action, I think it's fair to say. To be honest, that holds true for the Spider Bundesliga as well, because we're going to have to talk about games I don't want to talk about, particularly one involving the club that I support. But for the Bundesliga, up and down, some really infuriating moments, some really fascinating moments, and some big results to talk about. Let's start off with the side who are leading the Bundesliga after two weeks, and yet again, the big table toppers are Union Berlin. They ascend to the top of the Bundesliga table like they did last year, this time with a 4-1 win away at Darmstadt. And like with their game last week against Mainz, they got off to a fast start, four minutes on the clock, when Robin Gersens got his first goal for Union, slotting into the bottom corner from outside the box. I mentioned in that brief intro, it wasn't brief, it was over four minutes long. I mentioned in the intro that there were things that annoyed me this week in the Bundesliga, and this this was one of them. This might be the most irritated I'll get during this entire episode, but there was a red card for Union Berlin in the 21st minute, and I didn't want to mention him in this context for the first time we, we really mentioned him on the podcast, but it was Brendan Amundsen who was sent off Filoni from Leeds United. And it was BS. It, it was complete BS. His first yellow card was for kind of kicking a ball a bit. Now, I know that referees have been asked to sort of clamp down on players kicking the ball away, but... For me, that's when they proper pout it in anger or they're clearly deliberately trying to hold up play. Anyone who saw this knows that Brendan Amundsen wasn't kicking the ball away in anger, nor was he trying to hold up play. He just sort of moved the ball a bit and the referee decided to card him for that. The weird thing was is that he'd given a free kick to Darmstadt. The foul from the Union Berlin player, I can't remember who it was now because all attention immediately shifted to Brendan Amundsen for that yellow card but that foul in and of itself was definitely worthy of a yellow card it was arguably a yellow point five way more worthy of a yellow card than Brendan Amundsen sort of moving a ball a bit but the referee almost looked offended that he'd done that and yeah it definitely wasn't worth a yellow card neither was his second yellow card in the 21st minute I mean he did foul the Darmstadt player right he, he, it was definitely a foul but for me, 10 times out of 10, 100 times out of 100, 1,000 times out of 1,000, that is given a warning. It's a, you know, don't do that again. You're a bit over-eager there. Maybe don't charge in like that. It was not dangerous. It was not malicious. It wasn't, for me, worthy of yellow card. It was just a foul and a free kick. But the referee, for some reason, decided that this was worthy not only of a yellow, but of a second yellow. 
And referees definitely do act differently when somebody's already on a yellow card. We go, seriously, knock it off. This is your final warning. None of that. Just a yellow card again and a red card for Brendan Amundsen. It was nonsense. It was absolute nonsense. I saw somebody on, on Reddit say maybe the ref's a Leeds fan. And, I mean, it kind of makes sense. But to be honest, I would like to think us Leeds fans are more intelligent than that. I mean, that's not true for every Leeds fan, I'll be the first to admit. But, yeah, it was a truly, truly terrible decision. I, I would be furious if I were Union Berlin. I'd be furious if I was Brendan Amundsen because... He, he deserved better than this, and hopefully this doesn't sort of dent his Union career too much. He had a perfectly decent start in his first game against Mines. Obviously, he didn't stand out because Kevin Behrens did everything, but he, he, had a, he had a reasonable game, and then in this one, he definitely fell victim of a Patrick Ittrich. I think that's how you say his, his name. Me trying to say Ittrich sounds like Marcelo Bielsa trying to say Ipswich, but he definitely fell victim of a ref who maybe got out of bed on the wrong side or, you know, had something in his day before the game that angered him. Maybe he was in an incident on the road or something or going to an argument with someone, I don't know. But whatever it was, it wasn't really his fault. Anyway, at first it looked like Darmstadt would really benefit from that red card because just three minutes later, they would be level. Marvin Mellum scoring their equaliser, but after that, it was all Union Berlin once again. Despite being down to 10 men, they were simply sensational. Robin Gersens would head in a corner for his second to make it 2-1 before Kevin Behrens would make it 3-1 in the 39th minute. This one... Really the fault, though, of Darmstadt defender Matej Malika, who was trying to clear the corner and, you know, tried to kick it away and just cleared it straight onto the head of Kevin Behrens, which, you know, of all the places to clear the ball to, is not the best place. So he just headed into an open goal afterwards. I mean, that clearance couldn't have gone any more wrong if he had actually tried. Anyway, Union Berlin would add one more in the second half. Danilo Duque heading a corner and really putting his body on the line because in the process he collided with Clemens Riedel in the box and both of them were hurt, but Duque definitely came off the worse as a result of that. He did manage to play on through the rest of the game though, so an absolute warrior he most certainly is. Union Berlin then going top of the Bundesliga as a result of this game and they played absolutely fantastically. Obviously, as soon as... Well, we know that Union Berlin don't dominate possession in most games. So as soon as the red card happened, they were really on the back foot in terms of possession. Darmstadt having 74% of possession in this game and far more shots as well. But to be honest, there wasn't really any point in which you felt like Union Berlin weren't going to win this game, especially when they were 3-1 up. They felt like they could soak up even more pressure and they did so perfectly well. The defence, fantastic in this game. Danilo Duque, Robin Knocker and Diego Lecce. And also credit to Josip Juranovic who, who was exceptional. Robin Guzans who was just amazing. And Kral and Laiduni in the middle who really did control the pace of the game. For Darmstadt, I don't know whether to be worried or not because... Obviously, 
losing 4-1 against a side who played the overwhelming majority of the match with 10 men isn't great, especially when you're at home, but at the same time, it is only on Berlin. They're very used to playing this style of football, and Darmstadt are a newly promoted side, taking on a, let's remember, Champions League club. I don't know if you know this, but Union Berlin are in the Champions League this year. It's going to be exceptional. But, yeah, maybe it's not as bad as the scoreline first suggests because, you know, we're just kind of hoping that Darmstadt will be able to fight for survival this year and, and nothing more. But hopefully they're able to start picking up points in the next few games because that first game against Eintracht Frankfurt was promising. This game, not so much. Then again, maybe don't expect Darmstadt's first win to come next week because they're taking on Bayer Leverkusen. And speaking of Bayer Leverkusen, they had a fantastic game this weekend, taking on local rivals Borussia Mönchengladbach. They won 3-0. Obviously, Gladbach and Leverkusen close by less than an hour to get between the two, but worlds apart in this game complete domination from Bayer Leverkusen from beginning to end they open the scoring in the 18th minute Victor Boniface getting his first Bundesliga goal with a header great headed assist as well from Granite Zaka obviously the new signing from Arsenal by the way I said Boniface last week because I, I just assumed that's how it was pronounced but yeah apparently it's Boniface which is such a delightful name oh what a Boniface he has which actually does perfectly sound like Pallavi which was kind of like a form of slang used by gay people in the UK when homosexuality was still illegal so Maybe that's where he gets his surname from. Alternately, it probably isn't. Anyway, after Boniface would open the scoring, Granite Zaka would have the best disallowed goal of the season so far. A perfect volley from outside the box into the bottom corner. He could not have hit it better. And also, he refused to celebrate against his former club, obviously, before going to Arsenal. Zaka spent many years at Borussia Mönchengladbach. However, there was a marginal offside in the build-up against Jonathan Tarr. I mean, god damn it, Jonathan. That was a fantastic goal that you have erased from the record books with your marginal offside. It was quite a surprise that Bayer Leverkusen hadn't been able to get a second in the first half. And I take a lot of notes whilst watching matches and I normally raise a lot of them or you know try and turn them into like coherent talking points ahead of the podcast but I thought I'd just read this one out word for word and I think you'll see why in a bit 45 minutes it's honestly shocking that Bayer Leverkusen haven't been able to get a second goal in this first half it feels like if they're not able to capitalize on this period of dominance that it may come back to bite them and the football gods seem to take that personally because in the sixth minute of first half at a time, Bayer Leverkusen would in fact get their second goal. Jonathan Tarr making up for his offside. Granit Xhaka with a great ball to Jonas Hoffman who volleyed it into the box for Jonathan Tarr. Amazing passing play from Bayer Leverkusen which is of course what we are going to expect from them this season under Xavi Alonso. It's at this point, I want to say, Granit Xhaka had an amazing game. He was absolutely sensational. I don't know if this is what he was like at Arsenal because I didn't watch him too much whilst he was there, but 
this game was sensational and if he can keep this up all season he will be one of the best midfielders in the Bundesliga so fantastic from him and in the second half not much would change for Bayer Leverkusen they did only add one more goal from the inverts with a great through ball to Victor Boniface as he was able to out sprint his defender and poke the ball under Jonas Omlin so, yeah, a fantastic performance from Bayer Leverkusen. I think so far, obviously, we can't judge too much from the opening two games of the season, but I think if you look at the sort of teams who could challenge Bayern for the title, Bayer Leverkusen are probably the side in the best position to do that. They're the only one of the title contenders who, bar Bayern, I would say, strengthened this summer. Obviously, with the additions of Boniface, Hoffman, Granit Xhaka, they've also recently signed Nathan Teller from Southampton, which I think is an exceptionally good signing. I'm looking forward to seeing how he does under Xavi Alonso. But this is a side who, who have got strong, despite the loss, obviously, of Moussa Diaby, who ended up signing for... Did he go to the Premier League in the end? I think he did. But... Yeah, Bayer Leverkusen have got stronger this summer, unlike the other title rivals to Bayern. And judging by how they've done in their first two games, a good win over Leipzig and this dominant win over Borussia Mönchengladbach, they are looking very strong for this season. For Gladbach, obviously, it is a rebuilding season, but you still would have expected them to do better against a local rival to show more heart and more passion. And that wasn't really there. To be honest, I think the only players who I would say played well in this game, Nathan Gomu was was quite good again when whenever he was on the ball. Maybe Julian Weigel. That's probably about it. So yeah, not a great game for Gerardo Serrani against his former club, of course. He will be hoping for a bounce back performance next week. Boken won, Borussia Dortmund won, and if you are of the opinion that Dortmund won't be able to compete for the title this year, then this game would reinforce that belief, because Dortmund were once again terrible. Boken took the lead in the 13th minute, Kevin Sturgood drilling one in from the far left of the box into the bottom right corner. Fantastic shot placement, not much Gregor Kerbel could have done about that in a game where he was absolutely exceptional. That opening goal led to a new record for Borussia Dortmund. Up to France on the platform formerly known as Twitter. None of Dortmund's last 129 Bundesliga matches have finished goalless. This is a new record for the longest streak without an 0-0 draw in the competition's history. Previously, BVB had shared the record with Schalke. 128 matches from 1971 until 1975. So... If there's one thing we can say about Dortmund, they may be disappointing, but they do entertain. <laughs> They're very entertaining at the very least. And they would add to the goals in this game as well. In the 56th minute, Daniel Marlin from outside the box into the bottom corner. But to be honest, I think it'd be hard-pressed to say that Dortmund were significantly better than Bochum. I think it was a very even game. Both sides deserved a point. And that's, that's not great from a Dortmund perspective, considering that they're meant to be, you know, really pushing for the title this year. And Bochum are meant to be one of the three sides who are definitely in a relegation battle alongside Heidenheim and Darmstadt. To only get a point against them and to, unlike last time, 
obviously this being a repeat of the Sasha Stegman game from last year, that time Dortmund had a right to be aggrieved and say, well, actually, we deserve to win the game. Not only were we significantly better, but refereeing decisions went our way. Yeah, there was nothing like that in this game. In fact, arguably, Bochum had the right to be aggrieved at refereeing decision because Emre Chan could have easily been sent off in the 93rd minute for deliberately pushing a player whilst on a yellow card. I would have sent him off. I think well, all the Bochum fans would have sent him off uh, as well. But, yeah... For Dortmund, this this is worrying because they were very, very fortunate to win against Köln last week and this time around against a side who, you know, like I said, are expected to be in a relegation battle. They looked no better than them. They, they were bad through most of this game and very unimaginative as well. So, they've got four points on their opening two games. Arguably, they should only have one or two points, which isn't great because they've not exactly faced a gauntlet so far. They need to get a, a big win and fast. They need to do better on match day three of this season's Bundesliga than they did on match day three of last season's Bundesliga. You might remember that was the game against Werder Bremen, which went great for them. For Bochum, meanwhile, I don't want to give the wrong impression of this game and say that Bochum only really had to turn up with their arms and legs attached in the normal position and then watch Dortmund fail and then they could easily just go and pick up a point. They played exceptionally well in this match. Thomas Lech deserves a lot of credit for how he set up this Bochum side and they... For me, the main thing was that they just fought harder. They were absolutely fantastic. They fought for every second ball. They fought for every inch that they could get that makes it sound more like American football doesn't it but you know they really did play incredibly well and they pretty much won every duel and they got to every loose ball before Dortmund did and they executed their game plan absolutely perfectly so they they deserved this point they earned this point and we're going to need to do that a few times more if they're hoping to stay up in the Bundesliga this season if they play like this they have every chance of surviving Mines won Eintracht Frankfurt won this of course is a derby and it started off with a bit of controversy, there was a penalty given to Mines in the 23rd minute for handball against Robin Cock on loan from Leeds. And there will be a day, hopefully soon, where I'm able to talk about a player on loan from Leeds in a positive sense. But in all fairness, this wasn't handball. He did nothing wrong. His arms were very close to his body. He wasn't trying to get in the way of the ball. He was trying to get out of the way. Of the ball. VAR asked the ref to look at the monitor and it only took him one look to realise he had come to the wrong decision and he correctly overturned his decision. So good refereeing there from Bastian Dankert. Still, Mines would take the lead just two minutes after that. Jaisung Lee with a header and really bad goalkeeping here from Kevin Trapp. We expect more from him, but he rushed out to clear the cross. He was blocked by his own defender and he just punched it straight into the path of Jai Sung Lee and it was very similar to the incident in the Darmstadt and the Berlin game with the defender clearing it onto the head of Kevin Behrens which you know not ideal. Trap just cleared it onto the head of Jai Sung Lee which again not great. 
Mines were definitely the better side in the first half and midway through the second half they really should have had the game wrapped up when Eintracht Frankfurt would go down to 10 men. Ansgar Nauf getting his second yellow. I didn't see the first one but the second one was definitely the correct call. The Frankfurt players tried to argue with the referee for two minutes. But do me a favour, try and think of the last time that actually worked when like the players crowded the ref after a decision and just listening to them with no help from VAR, he just went, you know what, yeah, you're probably right, I'm going to overturn my decision. I'll tell you when, probably the 1970s, it's not happened since, but yeah, it was surprising that they really kept trying to go on like there was any chance of him changing his mind. And that should have been game over because Frankfurt had been the less of the two sides through the entire game. They were now down to 10 men. And unless you're playing Union Berlin, it really should be easier against 10 men than it is against 11. And minds were in control for most of the rest of the game. But one lapse of concentration is all it takes against a good side. And that is all Eintracht Frankfurt needed. Because against the run of play, Omar Mamouche would get his first Bundesliga goal for Frankfurt. Tapping in an Abimbe cross. And yeah... That's all it was. It was just one small lapse of concentration. Bimbe was able to get round the defence, cross into the middle of the box where Mamouche was standing unmarked and he tapped into an empty net. Mines will be absolutely kicking themselves. They really should have picked up all three points here. But that one moment, meaning that Dino Topmoller and Eintracht Frankfurt were able to rescue a point, so fair play to them. Cone 1, Wolfsburg 2, Wolfsburg, one of the five sides who have made a 100% start to life in the Bundesliga this season. Luca Waldschmidt would open the scoring for Cone in the 55th minute with a well-placed finish from outside the box. Waldschmidt obviously currently on loan at Cone from Wolfsburg, so... Yeah, really biting the hand that feeds him, I guess. But Jonas Vind would get two goals after that. Adding to the two goals he scored, of course, in the first game of the season against Heidenheim. He has scored more goals than Harry Kane so far this season because he obviously is a better striker than Harry Kane. I think we all know this. I think we all know that Jonas Vind is significantly better than Harry Kane, and no one would dispute that. But anyway, a good win for Wolfsburg. They were the better side. They did deserve all three points. Freiburg won. Werder Bremen nil. This wasn't exactly a classic of a game, but the only goal would come in the 96th minute, so Freiburg really saving all the excitement till right at the very end. Max Philipp was on loan at Werder Bremen last season, and he would score against his former club, volleying in a Noah Weishaupt cross. All in all, Freiburg were the better side through this game. I feel like if this game had finished in a 0-0 draw, I would have said it's a shame for Freiburg because they probably did deserve all three points, and that is what they got, even if their goal came very late on. Bayern 3, Augsburg 1, Bayern opened for scoring of the 32nd minute and they didn't even need any of their powerful strikers for this one because Felix Udekai would put it into his own net. After that, Harry Kane would get two goals, first one coming from the penalty spot after a handball against Nicholas Dorsch, it was the correct call, and then he would once again connect with Alfonso Davis, 
for his second. They are going to be such a deadly combination this season. I think that's already clear. Obviously, Davis set up Kane's goal in the first game of the season against Werder Bremen. Augsburg would get a consolation in the 86th minute. Dion Belio getting that goal, or Belgio. Who knows? Every commentator says it differently. I'm going to go with Belio, I guess. But that's probably wrong. Who cares? Bayern were good. They've made a 100% start to the season. Leipzig 5, Stuttgart 1. Obviously, Stuttgart winning 5-0 on the opening day of the season against Bochum. They did not have a repeat performance this time around. It looked like they could be on for another win when they opened the scoring of the 35th minute. Atakan Cavazor capitalising on a defensive error to play through Seu Gurassi for another goal for him. But then after that, floodgates opened in the second half for Leipzig as they stormed to a victory. Benjamin Henricks, Danny Olmo, Lois Appender scoring again and making up for the mistake last week, which is still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Kevin Campbell and Xavi Simons with the goals for Leipzig. Yeah, they deserve to win. Anyway... That's it for the Bundesliga this week. There is no game that I forgot to mention or no game that I'm deliberately not mentioning because it makes me sad. Fine. We'll talk about it. Heidenheim played Hoffenheim this weekend. Really big occasion for the lovely people of Heidenheim. The first Bundesliga game at the Voif Arena. And oh boy, did it get off to a great start. I mean, it didn't actually because they had a penalty and Jan Nicholas Bester missed it. Very poor penalty. But after that, it got off to a great start in the 26th minute. Bester scored one of the goals of the season. Definitely the best goal of this weekend. A free kick from the right-hand side of the box into the top corner. You know, from the sort of position where you would usually be trying to cross the ball. But Bester just decided, you know, well, I'm going to smack this into the top corner. And it was significantly harder to score than the penalty, but he made it look significantly easier. And then Heidenheim in the second half would go 2-0 up. Marvin Peeringer heading in a corner. Fantastic. Heidenheim are going to pick up three points on their Bundesliga home debut. This is amazing. And, and then Hoffenheim scored three goals in the space of 13 minutes and won the game. The final goal coming in the 90th minute. <sighs> You can't always get what you want. You know, I promised not to sing any more in last week's episode, and yet here we are. But, yeah, very disappointing result for Heidenheim. They were so close to victory, and they deserved victory, except for the fact that they completely switched off in the final 13 minutes of the game. Unlucky for some, definitely unlucky for them. Anyway, let's have a look then at the Bundesliga table after two games. Union Berlin lead the way on six points, and Bayern Munich, Bayer Leverkusen, Wolfsburg and Freiburg all have six points as well. Dortmund and Frankfurt are also undefeated. At the wrong end of the table, Werder Bremen are bottom Obviously on no points so far. Darmstadt, Heidenheim and Köln also pointless at this stage. Bochum, Mainz, Gladbach and Augsburg are yet to pick up their first wins of the season. Player of the week for match day two of the Bundesliga is yet again an Union Berlin player. This time it's Robin Gersens for his great performance against Darmstadt getting two goals of course. 
Okay, it is now time to take the ECA Express train all the way down to the Zweiter Bundesliga. And let's start off with the game in the capital between Hertha Berlin and Greuther Firth. And on last week's episode, I said that Hertha Berlin had to win this game if Paul Dardine was to retain his job. Would they be able to? Yes, quite convincingly, in fact. Hertha Berlin 5, Greuther Firth 0. I don't think any of us saw this coming, but an amazing performance by Hertha Berlin. Opening the scoring in the 23rd minute. A horrible back pass from Maxi Dietz allowed Harris Tapakovic to steal the ball off keeper Jonas Erbig and slot in. In the 31st minute, it would be 2-0. Ping-pong in the box, which was tapped in by Martin Winkler. And then 3-0. Less than 20 seconds after kickoff for the second half, a counter-attack would be finished off by Martin Dardan. I think that was the point of no return because, obviously, Reuterfirth get into the dressing room at half-time. They discuss what can be changed, what they can improve upon to get themselves back into the game and then... Less than 20 seconds into the second half, it is thrown completely out the window with that Martin Dardai goal. Really doing a solid for his dad. Hertha Berlin would score two more goals in the second half. Smell Preville Jack tapping one in from the middle of the box to make it 4-0. And then a defensive collapse, allowing Harris Tabakovic through one-on-one -on -one with the keeper to make it 5-0. He got two goals in this game. He was absolutely outstanding. And for the first time, I don't really have any complaints with how anyone did for Hertha Berlin. They switched formation, they switched tactics for this game. They were playing a 4-3-3 in previous games. In the Spider Bundesliga, League, they were playing a 4-4-2. But this forward line with Razor and Tabakovic up front, they, they started alongside Martin Winkler. And they all played fantastically. Tabakovic and Razor really being the stars. But then in the midfield, you had two of the Dardais, Palco Dardai and Martin Dardai, starting with Jeremy Dudziak. And they were all fantastic. And then the defence of Carbonic, Kempf, Leinster and Kenny. They had 20 shots against them. It's not like Greuther Firth weren't generating chances through this game. And, you know, if they'd got a goal early on, then maybe this is an entirely different match. But they were absolutely phenomenal as well. They were a brick wall in front of 20-year-old keeper to Jack Ernst. That's definitely not how you pronounce his name. But, yeah. The whole Hertha Berlin side were exceptional and this could have been a very different game if it wasn't for their quality. They did not face a Greuther Firth side who just laid down from minute 1 to minute 90 and allowed them to dominate. This was a great Hertha Berlin performance and it's one that is obviously going to keep Paul Dardai in a job. Maybe the fact that they've moved a lot of players on is actually helping them. Obviously, They've got rid of a few key players in the last week. Marco Richter has gone to Mainz. Dodi Lukavacchio has gone to Sevilla. And Stuart Serdar has gone on loan to Halles Verona. Maybe that is actually helping because the players who would have been, you know, the most negative about relegation and those who would have been contributing to a bad sort of dressing room atmosphere have all departed and the players who want to stay and want to fight for Hertha Berlin are there 
and that's probably helped with the atmosphere around the club. The players who have, have come in have shown a big sort of willingness to really fight for Hertha so far, and some of them haven't had great games across the board. I mean, the only one who's played fantastically in every game has been Fabian Reza, but everyone's there and they're willing to fight and try and turn the mood around at Hertha Berlin, and maybe that is what they needed to really kickstart their season. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic news for Hertha Berlin. Of course, for Greuther Firth, oof, not, not a good game for them. Hertha Berlin were happy this weekend, but the other relegated side from the Bundesliga were not. Schalke nil, Holstein Kiel 2, and Schalke were completely outplayed by their opponents in this match. Scoring opened in the 15th minute, Benedict Pischler reacting best to a prior shot that had hit the post. The same thing happened about 15 minutes later, it was rightfully disallowed for offside though. And kind of like the game against Kaiserslautern, it looked like it was all over when there was a red card. Obviously that red card in the Kaiserslautern game was for Kaiserslautern. This one was for Schalke because Ron Schallenberg was sent off for bringing down Steven Skrubski as the last man. Kiel were obviously the better side after that and they would score their second and final goal in the 59th minute. Tom Rofer with a great ground cross for Shooter Machino. Kiel were absolutely fantastic in this game and could have won by more. And it continues a good start to the season for Marcel Rapp's men. Nine points from their opening four games and currently third in the league. Let's talk about Schalke because this this is worrying for, for them. Obviously, last week I said that we needed to press the panic button with Hertha Berlin. I think it's now time to press the panic button with Schalke. And, of course, Hertha... That may have been premature because they won 5 0 this weekend. But with Schalke, there are reasons to panic. Let's just look at their four Vitus Bundesliga games so far. They've lost three of them. The 5 3 loss against HSV. Well, HSV have a good side, obviously. We'll get onto that later on. And there's no real shame in losing two of them at the Volkspark Stadion. But I would say HSV were comfortably the better side then they lost 1-0 away at Eintracht Braunschweig which is a much bigger problem for a side who want to be promoted and again Braunschweig were the better side through that game and in this game against Holstein Kiel again Kiel are a really good side of the Swiss Bundesliga but Schalke should have been putting up more of a fight than they did the red card obviously didn't help but I feel like and this is a big thing that we'll go on to again later if the red card hadn't been given Schalke still would have lost that game and they still would have been easily the worst side. They have had one win so far this season. That was a 3-0 win at home to Kaiserslautern but that game was odd because obviously Kaiserslautern had a man sent off in the first half, Andreas Luter. Schalke already won up at that point but in fact it might have been in the exact same minute wasn't it the 39th? So both both of the red cards coming in the 39th minute, that's that's kind of interesting, I guess. But Schalke already won nil up at that point, but they weren't dominant. It was a very even game. And then Kaiserslautern obviously went down to nine in the second half when Boris Tomiak got sent off. But it was only when Schalke had a two-man advantage that they actually started to take control of the game and look like the better side. And like what I said with the Kiel game earlier, 
if Kaislautan don't get them two red cards, I don't know if Schalke actually win. Yes, they were leading at the point of the first red card, but they weren't the better side. I think it probably would have ended in a draw, and that's the big worry, is that if there'd been no red cards this season, Schalke would have one point from four games. So you can't really point to that Kaislautan game as a source of comfort, because, well, Schalke were bad in that game as well. So, kind of like what Hertha Berlin had this weekend, Schalke really do need a bounce-back performance in their next game, which is away at Vehan. So, if you can't beat Vehan, I mean, really will be seriously panicking. I know Vehan have made a good start to the season, but still, it is Schalke. They should be doing a lot better than they currently are. Let's talk about Vehan then, because they lost 2-1 this weekend to Nuremberg in a game that most certainly had a lot of stuff happen in it. Quite a few red cards are first coming in the 11th minute for Nuremberg. Amet Gurlian sent off a last man challenge on Ivan Patagin. It was the correct decision. But before Vehan could capitalise on their man advantage, it was 10 against 10 in the 40th minute. Hyunju Lee getting sent off for a second bookable offence. So the first half, no goals, but two red cards. Definitely stuff to talk about. In the second half, we would get goals for 55 minutes on the clock when Ivan Patagin would head in a corner. Jan Geimerer would then equalise for Nuremberg 13 minutes later. Then 8 minutes after that, in the 76th minute, Nuremberg would get a penalty. It was a correct decision because there was handball from Martin Anger. The penalty would be scored by Tim Handwerker. Florian Stritzel, the Vehan keeper, did get a hand on it, but not quite enough. Then in the 85th minute, it would be 10 against 9, as there would be the third yellow card of the match. And it would be Martin Anger getting sent off for a second yellow card. And I would talk about this more and reflect and comment. But don't look back in anger, I heard you say. I've wanted to do that pump for ages and finally have had the chance to do it. I can hear you all rolling your eyes and going, oh, Jesus Christ. But, you know, I needed to do it. I needed to get out of the way. I needed to have an Oasis pun as the title for a podcast episode. So let's all just deal with it and move on. Anyway, Nuremberg were about the better side. They did deserve the win and yeah let's try and not have as many men sent off next time they have that would be a really really good idea because when it was 11 on 10 when Nuremberg were aside with the man disadvantage they were actually really good and really Nuremberg only got back into the game when it became 10 on 10 both sides though having a decent start to the season so far both on seven points from four games Paderborn 1, Kaiserslautern 2. Quick question, does anyone else who watched Formula 1 15 years ago think of Braun GP when they see Kaiserslautern's away kit? Because it really reminds me of, of Braun GP. This is not Kit Clash, by the way, which is coming back later on in the episode. But yeah, the Kaiserslautern away kit really reminds me of Braun GP and that brings back happy memories at the end of the day. The first half does not bring back any memories of any kind because it was boring but the action did pick up in the second half Marnon Ritter opening the scoring for Kaiserslautern in the 59th minute scoring against his former club of course he made 64 appearances for Paderborn over 
for years. Ragnar Acker would then make it 2-0 just six minutes later with his third goal in four games. Paderborn would get one back though in the 73rd minute. Florent Muslier scoring that one. Kai Slouten overall were not the better side, but they did take their chances in that six-minute stretch, and that is why they picked up all three points, marking back-to-back -back wins in the process. For Paderborn, it's four points from their opening four games. Karlsruhe 2, Eintracht Braunschweig 0. Goal scoring open for Karlsruhe in the 25th minute, a well-placed ground cross from Sebastian Young was tapped in by Leon Jensen and then red card for Braunschweig pretty much put the game to bed for them. Marvin Vanitzek was dancing around the defenders amazingly. He was absolutely fantastic in this game. He was brought down by Yanis Nikolaou, clearly preventing a clear goal scoring opportunity. It was correct to give him a red card. Braunschweig didn't really have much of anything after that and Karlsruhe would add icing on top of the cake in the 67th minute. Fabian Schlausner with a good assist from Lars Stindl. In between those two goals, a penalty was given for Karlsruhe. Handball against Johan Gomez but it was overturned correctly because it was ball to hand. Gomez was sliding to the ground and he had to have his arm where it was for balance. So good refereeing and good VAR as well. Credit to Robert Kamka in this game. Because I've been attacking referees I feel like it's good to compliment them when they do something right as well. And it's right to compliment Karlsruhe at the moment. Seven points from four games they've made a strong start to the season. Earlier on in the episode, I joked about being in a food coma. Well, since recording the last game review, I actually went out with my family and had a massive meal, and now I am in a food coma. So, yeah, let's see if I can get through the rest of this episode without, I don't know, falling asleep or something. But it was an Indian, by the way. Thank you for asking. Let's go into the next game. Karlsruhe have started off the season well, but not as well as the league leaders who are Hamburg. They won 1-0 away at Hanover. And a really good performance from them as well. It was an even game to start off with, but it looked like the match was going to shift in Hanover's favour at the beginning of the second half when HSV would have a man sent off. Guilherme Ramos bringing down Nicolo Trasoldi and preventing a clear goal-scoring opportunity. It was the correct decision from referee Tobias Reichel. After that, unsurprisingly, Hanover did have the far better chances and far more chances as well, but it would be HSV would get the only goal of the game. 69 minutes on the clock when Bakri Yatta would have a well-placed finish from outside the box. First time hit as well, absolutely fantastic. And that was enough as HSV would hold on for the win and hold on to their lead of the Zweite Bundesliga as well. Give credit to them, they were absolutely fantastic in this game. Especially after the red card, they were very resolute in defending Daniel Hoy Fernandez once again. I think I've said it for three years in a row now, he's the best keeper in the Spice Bundesliga. He really did earn his keep in this game. The defence in front of him as well, absolutely fantastic. Ludovic Rice in midfield having a good game too. They've had a really promising start to the season. They're not just the league leaders. They have also been the best side through the opening four games, which is not a surprise because they're leading the league. But I think their performances as well have been really, really good. Obviously, they beat Schalke on the opening game of the season. They were great in that game. Then they drew with Magdeburg, and that would 
last season be concerning, but Magdeburg have started off really well, fourth in the league at the moment. Hertha Berlin, they were absolutely dominant against, they could have won that game 5 or 6-0, and then this game against Hanover, when they were struggling down to 10 men away from home against a good Hanover side, they were able to defend resolutely and take their chance when it came. And it comes back to what we have said on this podcast in the past, or what I have said on this podcast in the past. I should probably address that, by the way, because I don't think I have done this year. But when I say we, I normally just mean I. It's just a force of habit. Anyway, it comes back to what I said in the past about what HSV need to do to get promoted. And I've always said that it feels like what they need is to get off to a really good start one season. Build up a good buffer between them and third place and then coast from there if it's a close race they'll start to wobble and then fall apart like they have done in the past few seasons in fact in every season that they've been in the fight of Bundesliga let's face it so yeah all I'm saying is that HSV need to be more like Alversberg and then they will get promoted what I mean actually is Alversberg from last year not Alversberg from this year who have started off the season poorly their bottom of the league following a 5-0 defeat to Fortuna Dusseldorf. Fortuna had a fast start in this game. They were 2-0 up after just 15 minutes. Felix Klaus with the first and Jordi Device with the second. They would add one more before the half-time break. Vincent Vermey gets his first of the league for Dusseldorf. We mentioned him in the cup game against the Letizan because he scored for them then as well. But just to mention, he joined from Freiburg Schwei this summer last year. For them in the Dritte Liga, he scored 15 and assisted 5. So, a really good striker. Hopefully, he will continue to do well, having made the step up to the Fighter Bundesliga. Christos Zolis will then get two in the second half. One from the spot and the other a tap-in. A good game for Fortuna Dusseldorf, And they continue their good starts for the season. Seven points from the opening four games for Alversberg. While we knew it was going to be a tough season, it has proven to be a tough season so far. Just one point from their opening four games. And we'll mention who they're playing next week in Topsfield as Fockenender. But you got to think for them and for their opponent, it is a must win. Do you know what? I'm just going to mention it now and we'll mention it again later. For taking on Alsterbuck next week, we'll also have one point from their opening four games. They lost 2-1 to Hansa Rostock. I love it when I'm talking about a team when I notice they're just next in the running order anyway. It's great. It means we can just smoothly work our way through hands are open for scoring in the 26th minute Juan Pereira with that one and then in the third minute of first half at a time Dave Ganas I think that's what the commentator said making it one all but Kai Proger would score the winning goal for hands in the 67th minute originally given a penalty he would miss the penalty but would convert the rebound Hansa, despite not having the most possession, did have easily the better chances. Even the one Osnabrück goal was sort of like a lucky deflection almost. So they probably did deserve to win the game. They have made a really strong start to the season. Unlike Osnabrück, one point from four games. Final game to mention then, and it's the one I really don't want to talk about, but we're going to have to talk about it. St. Pauli nil, Magdeburg nil. Now, for those of you who are keeping track, this is St. Pauli's third straight 0-0 game in the Zweite Bundesliga. 
The last goal in a St. Pauli game in the league came in the 75th minute of the game against Kaiserslautern on match day one, which means that St. Pauli have now played 318 minutes of football in the league without a goal. That's five hours, 18 minutes. And guess what? I've watched every minute of that and I've truly hated it. I could have spent those five hours and 18 minutes doing anything. I could have been picking up a new hobby, learning a language, cycling, doing something I enjoy. But no, I was boring myself to tears watching some really, truly drab football. And this game was the most frustrating of those three games as well because St. Pauli had so many chances. They had 28 shots in this game to Magdeburg's five and they just could not convert. It feels like ever since St. Pauli lost Guido Bergstaller, they've never had the striker to replace him. And that was evident in this game as well. Look, I, I really like some of the players St. Pauli have playing for them up front, but... None of them are that out-and-out goal scorer who is going to drag your side to promotion. And it feels like St. Pauli should use this last week of the window to just try and sign anyone. Please, someone. Andreas Albers had a reasonable game. I mean, he, he had chances, but it, just, it doesn't feel like he's going to be the one to score like 20 goals this season. It feels like no one in that St. Pauli side is going to be able to score that many goals and help push the side towards the top of the league. I don't think it's any hyperbole to say that if St. Pauli just had a decent goal scorer, like if they had Guido Bergstaller back, obviously Guido was more than just okay, he was really, really good. But if they had a, a good goal scorer, they would have started the season 4 for 4 and been on 12 points. So that's, that's what we're talking about here. That is the difference between a side who are really pushing for promotion and a side who are in mid-table. St. Pauli, six points from four games. Magdeburg, they had their worst game of the season in this one by quite a comfortable margin. But still, eight points from four games, a really good start for them. Let's have a look then at the Spider Bundesliga table. HSV lead the way 10 points from four games. Then Hans Vostok and Holstein Kiel on nine points fill out the other promotion places. Magdeburg are on eighth. Meanwhile, Dusseldorf, Karlsruhe, Wehen and Nuremberg all have seven points there between fifth and eighth. At the wrong end of the table, Alversburg have one point. Osnabrück also on one point in the relegation places. They're the only side so far who haven't won a game this season. Eintracht Braunschweig fill out the relegation places on three points. And then Schalke and Hertha Berlin also have three. Meanwhile, Paderborn and Greuther Firth have four. That takes us up to 12th place. Player of the week, this time in the Spider Bunts League, I think this was a fairly easy decision. Havis Tabakovic for his two goals for Hertz Berlin in their very impressive 5 0 win over Greuter Firth. For the first time in 2023 24, it is time for Going Deutsch to go continental. And we have one game this week, of course, because it is the Europa Conference League. Final knockout before the group stages and one German team is involved at this point. Of course, it is Eintracht Frankfurt who finished 7th last season and their 
Reward for that was to go to Bulgaria and take on Levski Sofia for a place in the group stages of the Europa Conference League this year. And obviously, taking on a side who are from the Bulgarian leagues, which are not as prestigious as the German league, I think it's safe to say. Eintracht Frankfurt were seen as the favourites for this one, and they played like that in the beginning of the game. They opened the scoring in the sixth minute through Rando Colomarani for the third week in a row. I'm going to say, is this his last goal in an Eintracht Frankfurt shirt after this weekend? It sure looks like that's the case. And you would expect Eintracht Frankfurt to push on from that and have a really dominant game. But give a lot of credit to Levski Sofia because they played really well. And they were level with Eintracht Frankfurt for most of this game. They were, you know, just as good as Eintracht Frankfurt were. And really, they should have equalised in the 38th minute because they had an open goal. Ronaldo Cesar really should have scored, but he, he managed to miss. He sort of didn't get his foot on it right and instead of it going straight forward into goal it sort of just idly rolled along the face of the goal and Kevin Trapp collected it and that was the case for most of the game. Levski Sofia were playing as well as Eintracht Frankfurt. They did have a few chances Eintracht but they never really looked like putting the game to bed. By the way I should mention before I forget the fans in the Stadion Vasil Levski were really good from what I could tell. They had this amazing light display midway through the second half where everyone obviously got their lights on their phones and started dancing in a choreographed manner. It was really impressive to look at and they had all of the flares at the beginning of the second half as well. Those fans wouldn't be disappointed in the end because in the 95th minute, they were rewarded with one of the best goals that we've seen this season at least that I've seen this season on this podcast. Really good goal by Hasimi Fadija from far out into the top corner. And in the 95th minute as well, the stadium went crazy. And it means that Levski Sofia are very much in this tie going into the return leg at Deutsche Bank Park. They could easily go through. We should not discount them on the grounds of their Bulgarian side because they played really well in this game. They deserved a draw and they do have every chance to have an even better performance away in Germany. For Eintracht Frankfurt, you just kind of have to hope this was a small slip up and that they're able to put the tie to bed once they're back in front of their own fans. Okay, it's now time to look at the Dritter League going through the last two match days because obviously there were games in midweek and games this weekend as well. Let's start off with the league leaders, the only side who have won three out of four games. Dynamo Dresden picked up two wins over the last week. First of all, a 2-1 win against Wardolf Mannheim and then a 2-0 win away at Borussia Dortmund Schwein. If there is a side who are going to replicate what Alversberg did last year, it's going to be Unterhashing at the moment. They've started off the season very well. Eight points from their opening four games. They are currently second in the league. They opened up the week with a draw away at Freiburg. Schwei currently last in the league. And then won this weekend 2-1 against a good Victoria Kiln side. Esbergi Au are in third place. They also had a win and a draw this week. They won 2-1 at home to Sandhausen and then followed that up with a one-all draw against Lubeck. 
Not having a good week, former league leaders 1860 Munich, they lost twice. First of all, 2-1 at home to Lübeck and then 3-0 away at Sandhausen. Bottom of the league, as already mentioned, Freiburg, Schrei, as well as drawing with Unterhaching, they lost 3-2 to Vöhl this weekend. They're one of just two sides in the Liga who haven't won a game so far in four attempts. The other one, Duisburg, who have three draws from their opening four games, including two draws this week, one all against Hallescher and one all against Ulm. Vöhl have got their first win. They lost in midweek against Saarbrücken, but then won against Freiburg Schrei as mentioned there on three points. The other side of the relegation places, Hallescher, who drew with Duisburg and lost to Wardorf Mannheim. There are quite a few sides currently on four points. First of all, Prussian Munster, newly promoted, obviously. They beat Ingolstadt in midweek and then lost of the weekend to Vice-Essen. Wardorf Mannheim are on four points. So are Armenia Bielefeld, who aren't climbing up the table like we maybe would have anticipated. They lost to newly promoted Ulm in midweek and then drew one all with fellow relegated side Jan Regensburg of weekend. Finally, Ingolstadt also won four points, having lost to Prussian Munster and drawn against Saarbrücken. Okay, moving on, it's time for the second round of Kick Clash. This time, it's the nominating heats for the Fighter Bundesliga. Like last time, go to footballkitarchive.com if you want to look at these kits yourself. Maybe you want to do your own Kick Clash, I don't know. But I'll leave the link to the Fighter Bundesliga kit in the notes for this podcast still don't really know what to call it description whatever still sounds like youtube when i say that but that's really not the point anyway let's move on let's talk about the kits in the fighter bundesliga five kits will be nominated for worst kit and five will be nominated for best let's start off then with the worst kit and we're going to start this Going in alphabetical order with Hanover's third kit, which is brought to us by Macron. Anyone who knows me knows I hate fade kits. They're terrible, and this one is this not really nice green fading into white. I really don't like it, and I don't know how much more there can be said. It's just... Just awful. If it was a plain white kit, it would look great. If it was a kit in that green colour... It's kind of like an apple green, I guess. It would be alright, but yeah, the, the fade just doesn't work for me at all. I'm okay with fades if it's going from two similar colours, or going from one colour to an incredibly similar colour, I should say. But when it's going from apple green to white, it really doesn't work for me. Next up, Hansa's away kit is brought to us by Mizuno. The third kit for Hansa is actually quite nice and nearly got nominated for best kit but the away kit again it's a fade the pattern on it's actually quite nice it's a white kit with blue diagonal stripes but the fade in the middle to make space for sponsors just a bit awkward i don't think it's going to win worst kit overall but I just don't really like it next up hair to berlin's away kit brought to us by nike well, when it didn't have a sponsor on, it was boring. It was just a standard Nike template kit in two different shades of blue. But then they added the Crazy Buzzer logo to it, which we discussed two weeks ago, I want to say. And 
yeah, it's it's really ugly. It stands out like a sore thumb. It reminds you that Hertz Berlin have gone back on their models. And yeah, it's just an ugly kit all round. At least with the third kit, the logo sort of blends in because it's a red kit and a red logo. But with this one, the away kit, ugly logo, boring kit. And that's how you get nominated for worst kit on Kit Clash. Next up, Holstein Kiel's away kit brought to us by Puma. And the home kit is bad in and of itself. The home kit resembles a bus seat. But the away kit is red with these blue-like lightning lines, I guess is what you'd describe it as. Making the whole kit look like it's from the 1990s. And the 1990s we left behind, I should say. So yeah, really poor effort from Holstein Kiel. That is the fourth kit nominated for worst. And then finally, it's with a heavy heart that I have to say that the fifth kit nominated is St. Pauli's away kit brought to us by St. Pauli themselves because they make their own kits. I think if I was including goalkeeper kits in Kit Clash, the St. Pauli secondary goalkeeper kit would be the worst kit in Germany this year because it is truly vile. It is this sort of beige-ish colour with green and it's a fade and Jesus Christ, I want to shoot it into the sun every time I look at it. But that's not the kit we're talking about because goalkeeper kits aren't nominated. We're talking about St. Pauli's away kit. I just don't like the design. The design's just, just bad. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's just really, truly ugly. Black and red and white. It's the traditional St. Pauli colours. Nothing wrong with that. It's just the design is, is bad. Graphically in a DNA helix is what Football Kit Archive describes it as, saying it's a uncommon design. Well, there's a reason why it's uncommon, because it's absolutely terrible. Let's have a look then at the best kits that are going to be nominated to try and become the best kit in Germany this year. And it's with a heavy heart that I have to say that the first kit nominated for best kit is Hamburger's home kit brought to us by Adidas. Yeah, it's really nice design. It's got the nice pinstripes in the middle, then the black and blue sleeves as well. Really classic. And yet it manages to stand out as well. It has everything you want in a HSV kit, except for it going in the bin, which is what I would want. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though, it is absolutely fantastic as is for third kit i'll say I, I am quite a fan of an all black kit next up the first side i believe to get nominated for both best and worst kit holstein keel's third kit brought to us by puma now i've already mentioned this because i wrote an article at the end of last season ranking every special kit in german football and i said in the article that i didn't think they'll bring it back for the 2023-24 season that's why it was allowed to be in the special kit ranking, but they did bring it back in the end as a third kit. It is a traffic cone design, and that sounds terrible, but it looks fantastic with the bold orange and white stripes going diagonally, and with the black accents as well. Absolutely fantastic. I would definitely buy this shirt if I was a Holstein Kiel fan. Next up, Nuremberg's third kit brought to us by Adidas, and to be honest, the home kit and the third kit could have gone in but I really like the black and light blue combination especially with the gold Adidas logo and the gold Adidas stripes as well it is very very appealing 
I don't know if it's based on a prior Nuremberg kit. I don't know if they've had a colour combination like that before, but it does really stand out compared to all the other kits in German football this season, so it is a really nice one as a result. Next up, Schalke's away kit brought to us by Adidas. Again, the home and third kit's also really nice for Schalke, but the away kit is the one I've gone for. The light blue sleeves with the white base, really nice and really classic Schalke as well. I don't know how much more there is to say about it. But it is a really nice, clean, simple design that also, you know, has something about it that is worth talking about. Final kit, Osnabrück's home kit brought to us by Capelli. Maybe the first time Capelli have actually been nominated in a positive sense. I feel like I know, oh no, actually, there was Doisberg's kit mentioned last week. I now see that. But Capelli's home kit this year, absolutely fantastic. Purple and blue stripes. And at first... When I saw it, I was like, I'm not sure about that, but it's really grown on me since. I think it's a really nice kit, really stands out, and it feels vintage Osnabrück as well. So, those are the five kits being nominated for best and worst kit. Obviously, we'll be having the finals in a few weeks after the Bundesliga qualifying kit next week. Honourable mentions go to Dusseldorf's home kit and Hanover's away kit for the best kit, and Paderborn's away kit for worst any of them might be the potential wild card that I include after doing all the nominations. So I have 16 in each final and then we can do a single sort of knockout tournament. But whether they'll get in, well, you'll have to see in a few weeks' time. A few news stories to go into before we wrap up the podcast this week. First of all, do you remember Marius Gersbeck? Yeah, he re-signed for Hertha this summer from Karlsruhe and then got into an altercation during training camp which got him suspended by the club well it could be getting worse for him because a criminal complaint has been filed with Salzburg district court against him for serious bodily harm he has been suspected of having punched and kicked another person in Zell am See apparently is the place where it happened and this apparently caused injury as well. If he is convicted, there is a potential prison sentence of six months to five years. There is a hearing set for September 28th. Next up, you might remember that earlier this summer, Bayern Munich ended their sponsorship with Qatar Airways. This was a deeply unpopular sponsorship within the Bayern fan base because... They actually have functioning brains, unlike the board, and they didn't like sports washing and don't like sports washing, and it became such a pain for the Qataris that they went, eh, you know what, we can't be bothered with this anymore. So it was a great victory for the fans. It showed that Bayern Munich's fans still were able to influence the club, and now Bayern Munich have announced a replacement for the shirt sponsor. <sighs> It's Visit Rwanda. It's like the people in charge of Bayern Munich are doing this on purpose because they A, hate Bayern, B, hate what Bayern stand for, and C, most importantly, truly hate the fans. That is the only way to analyse this, that and they're incredibly greedy. I could read you the statements from the Bayern board, but no, because they're awful now 
Bayern also had a long quote on their website about the nation of Rwanda and why it's it's great and the country has experienced political stability. You know why they're experiencing political stability? It's because the people of Rwanda don't have any freedom. There is no democracy in Rwanda. The last election, which was won by the president with a 98.8% share of the vote, which should automatically ring several alarm bells, was marred by irregularities including political intimidation, unfair registration practices and fraud during the balloting. So when Bayern boasts about Rwanda's political stability, it's because there is no democracy. And since Bayern wants everyone to know about Rwanda, let me take a few minutes to tell you even more about the politics of Rwanda. The current government have a long history of repressing political opponents and members of opposition parties face the threat of disappearance, arbitrary arrest and detention, as well as assassination. So that's pretty great, isn't it? When it comes to the press in Rwanda, the government encourage positive representation of them, by tying coverage to state advertising revenue, journalists who do engage in independent reporting are often subject to criminal charges and intimidation, and a law passed in 2018 criminalised cartoons and writings that humiliate Rwanda's leaders. Thank God we don't have that in the United Kingdom or Germany. Many journalists have fled the country and work in exile. Meanwhile, authorities continue to target journalists and bloggers, particularly those broadcasting via the internet and on YouTube, for intimidation, arrest or prosecution. And it's not just the press who aren't allowed to have a lovely time in Rwanda, it's also everyone else. There is no religious freedom, any religious organisation have to obtain status from the government and must submit extensive documentation and show they're doing the things that the government want. There's also no academic freedom because the government enforce official views on genocide and other sensitive topics. Any academic who criticises the government can be targeted and as such many academic institutions take to self-censorship to avoid anything like that. The government, meanwhile, monitor personal communications to make sure that nobody is saying anything against them. Social media is heavily monitored and laws allow for the government to hack telecommunication networks in order to look at the lives of normal citizens. There have been reports in the past as well that individuals have been forcibly disappeared, arrested, detained and assassinated for expressing their views. As well as that, there is no independent judiciary in Rwanda. People who are arrested are regularly subject to torture. Extrajudicial executions of suspected criminals have also been reported as have disappearances, physical assaults and assassinations targeting journalists, opposition members and other regime critics. Meanwhile, there is heavy discrimination in society around LGBTQ plus people. So, if Rwanda want people to know what it's like in their country, this is the context you need. This is what Rwanda is, no matter what Bayern Munich claim to the country. And it is a utter hellhole. It's arguably worse than Qatar, which is saying quite a lot. So, for the love of God... Please do not visit Rwanda, it is terrible. By the way, I forgot to mention this week's sponsor to the Going Dutch podcast, Visit Rwanda. No, not really. It's Visit Saudi. No, it's not. <laughs> anyway, 
yeah, definitely don't go to Rwanda. I need to give a lot of credit to Freedom House for that research because I literally just read from their website for that. I don't know if it was obvious if I was just reading haphazardly from a website, but yeah, their ability to collect information about different countries and their freedoms is absolutely invaluable when looking to talk about something like this. As a Brit, of course, I should point out that I'm really not a fan of Rwanda because our current government is trying to send innocent people fleeing from war there. So, you know, even more reason to not be thrilled with the government in that country or the government in this country. Let's move on. There are growing complaints from Schalke players about the management of Thomas Rice, according to a report in Sport Eins. It says that the players are becoming critical of him and saying that they want more meaningful analysis in how they should tactically approach games. They feel like putting all of the weight on the team on Asan Uedrogo, the 17-year-old, is really not beneficial, especially when you have all of those other players who have far more experience than he does. And the whole atmosphere at the club seems bad at the moment. Obviously, Sport Irons points for the fact that they have had three red cards in their opening four Schweizer Bundesliga games to sort of prove this as well. And I think it, we can all say that there are clear problems at Schalke that need addressing fast. And kind of like with Hertz Berlin and with most relegated clubs, in all fairness, mentality is most certainly a concern. Sport Eins also point to the problem that the players don't seem to be able to cope with the physical toughness that is more common in the Spider Bundesliga than there is in the Bundesliga. And despite the fact that Thomas Rice keeps talking about aggressiveness and mentality, he doesn't talk about many of the other problems that Schalke have. So yeah, Thomas Rice could be under serious pressure at Schalke, particularly if results continue in the way they have been in the first four games of the season. So, Thomas Rice won't be feeling great at the moment. Neither will the Bundesliga, according to new reports. The next TV deal might see a drop in revenue of somewhere in the region of €300 million. Euros. Their current one signed with Sky Sport and Dazen, I refuse to call them by what they want to be called, is worth $1.1 billion, but the next one could be worth somewhere in the region of 800 to $900 million, which is still a lot of money but not quite as much as $1.1 Obviously, the TV rights for the league are incredibly important. It's why the Premier League has such financial advantage over other leagues in the world and why I am constantly annoyed with the Premier League. And it's how a league is able to grow and buy bigger and better players. And the Bundesliga just does not have the marketing at the moment to bring in those TV deals. And I would argue that the Bundesliga's marketing, yes, it works on people like me because I already like the Bundesliga. But it clearly isn't doing a good enough job in finding those new fans who are going to be interested in German football in the future. That's the big failing here and that's what's being reflected in this TV deal. Of course, the other thing, and we should address it because it's a gigantic elephant in the room painted in red and saying Mia Sam Mia. Bayern's success is really not helping the league grow. They have won 11 titles in a row, and it's easy for someone like me to 
preach about the virtues of German football and to preach about them on this podcast where, let's face it, I'm preaching to the converted, but it's harder to sort of get their messages across to people who don't watch the Bundesliga already because their immediate and obvious response is, yeah, I know you say that the Bundesliga is great, but I haven't Bayern like won the league 11 years in a row. And that's the big problem. So the Bundesliga needs to market itself far better than it currently does. And also, it would really, really help if, like, anyone else could challenge Bayern for, for once. Please be really, really good. Anyway, final news story to mention. Niels Peterson, the former Freiburg man, is set to make his TV debut this week he's going to be a football expert on amazon prime he will be discussing one of the games in the champions league on tuesday of course he won't be starting the broadcast but he will come on midway through and then be the most important person on the broadcast which kind of resembles his playing career in the bundesliga Anyway, let's move on and let's wrap up the podcast with Top Spiel Das Wochenende, the best games from the weekend, all times in Central European summertime. If you're in the UK, knock off one hour. For the Bundesliga, this was a really hard choice because there's not really any game that truly stands out to me, but I decided to go with Werder Bremen against Mainz Saturday 3.30. Both sides hope to bounce back. From disappointed performances last time around, obviously Werder Bremen losing late on against Freiburg and Mainz dropping points late on against Eintracht Frankfurt. This is a game that I think is going to be close and therefore I think it's going to be interesting. I hope that Fulkrug and Marvin Dutsch are able to improve on their more recent performances and that we have an entertaining game all round. My Fighter Bundesliga game of the weekend. Osnabrück against Alversburg. Sunday, 1.30pm. And if we were having a conversation like this on the NFL Blitz, I would call it a cornered animal game, which I stole from the Around the NFL podcast. But a cornered animal game is when a side or two sides have started off the season really poorly. They've been backed into a corner. They need to show some form of fight these are the only two sides in these fighter Bundesliga so far who haven't won a game. They're both on one point. And if they can't beat each other, if Osnabrück can't beat Alversburg or Alversburg can't beat Osnabrück, they're going to be seriously worried about their chances of staying in these fighter Bundesliga for next season. In the Dritter Liga, my game of the weekend is Vull against Unterhashing because I want to see if Unterhashing can keep up their good start to the season. They have started off very well, eight points from four games. Can they keep that up against a good Vull side? That is a Saturday, two o'clock kickoff. And one more game to mention as well the Europa Conference League. Second leg between Eintracht Frankfurt and Levski Sofia is on Thursday at 8.30pm. One all from the first leg thanks to that 95th minute screamer from Hasimi Fadija. Eintracht Frankfurt will be hoping for a lot better when the tie returns to Deutsche Bank Park. Anyway, that's all the time we have on this week's episode of the Going Deutsch podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to lie down now because I am very full from earlier but that's that's not something you're interested in you're only interested in german football and i will have even more to discuss from that next week for the time being though i've been alex woodward and until we meet again don't visit rwanda and i'll be the same.